Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Paul Gorenson, CEO at Encore Energy. We talked to him about the money that they've raised recently, 15 million bucks. What are they going to do with it? When do they get into production? And what are the roadblocks to prevent them from doing so in a timely manner? Paul answers us. He also talks to us about the recent trend of Uranium Juniors raising money to buy pounds in the market. What are the effects uh, for each of the individual companies involved there? And will there be more? If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, topics discussed, the company and Paul himself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, including our weekly Uranium show. We've got training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. We do summaries of the interviews that we do. In fact, all of the interviews that we do to save you some time because we know you're busy people. And of course, you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. Do go to cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. It's great. Not in Colorado today, and uh, it's a beautiful day, and no snow coming down, which is a benefit in the in the, fall, in the spring. Very so nice. It's Very nice. And you're talking to us. What a great day! Yes, it, it tops the day, and it's only starting. So you, you've started it's all downhill after this is done. <laughs> you've started this the right way. It's going to be a nice, easy ride with me. No problem. That, that's the secret, CEOs. A nice, nice starter. Well, look, I'm delighted to have you on. Um, obviously, you know, I think the last time I was, I think we we're almost going to try and speak to you was when you were Energy Fuels. You've moved over August, September last year into this new position, CEO, head honcho at Encore, um, working with uh, Bell Sheriff. So um, delighted for you to take, um, that you could take your time uh, out of your day to, to talk to us. So, um, Bill, why don't we kick off for people new to this? Because a lot of new entrants uh, into the uh, mining investment and specifically uranium space perhaps don't know your story, and uh, we're going to get into it. So, when he gives that one minute summary, I'll pick it up from there. Sure. Well, like, you know, Encore, we're we're focused on uranium becoming the next uh, uh, uranium production company in the U.S. Focused in the United States, principally uh, in Texas and New Mexico. Uh, we. You know, the company's been rather dormant for quite a while, but we, we've done a transitional transaction with our acquisition of Westwater Resources Assets, which gives us licensed production facilities, which commences our strategy to become what we want to be is the dominant uranium producer, potentially using in situ recovery uh, operations in Texas with our future build out into New Mexico. But, uh, that's that's kind of the, the, the short-term strategy of our company. And then long-term as we look to grow, hopefully through mergers and acquisitions, and then execute our New Mexico strategy sometime in the near future. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. I mean, that, that sounds quite familiar to me. Obviously, we've spoken to Bill Sheriff a couple of times previously, and I think people recognize him because of the um, the energy metals deal with Uranium 1.8 billion bucks. Um, and I would say some of that sounds familiar to me, but None of those assets got into production. You're going to get into production, are you? Absolutely, we are going to get into production. And and although just to, to, to clarify, those assets did get in production, but it wasn't under energy metals. 
Well, that's what we're interested in. I'm interested. I, I want yeah. to talk business plan always, but I'm interested yeah. in what the model is first. So your model is yeah. we are aiming to get into production. That is why I, Paul sure. Gordonson, am on board. We're going to get into production. That's exactly right. That's why I'm here. This is what the exciting part of it is. Is uh, that's every time I, you know a lot of people talk you know that I've known for years say you know you're finally you're happy you're, you're excited to do something because getting into production is uh, it's not just the, the the thrill of actually seeing a drum of yellow cake come out from under a dryer it's uh, it's the activity it's building the workforce the team and executing on the plan and uh, we are start actually we're starting to execute on our production plan. Uh, we are, you know, our, we stated publicly that Rosita's, we're, we're going to do our first, uh, the, it's a former operating plant that Uranium Resource was operated. <clears throat> and the irony is, is that uh, I was there when we constructed it back in 1992. And, uh, you know, I left, uh, worked for Uranium Resource for 10 years, and both facilities we bought, I was there for the construction startup and commercial operations of them. Interesting. That's kind of like coming home. Interesting. Yeah, and, uh, I, I guess it is. I guess it, I guess it is. I mean, just just on the model, because like I said, there's so much to cover. It's, it's going to be a great conversation. Like, oh I, yeah, I can feel it now. That on the model side of things again, I'm not. There's nothing wrong with the energy metals model. It sold for 1.8 billion. I mean, that's one of my favorite numbers, right? So it's a lot of money. But getting into production is what turns you on, so to speak. And you you determined that that's what encouraged you to join. So I want to be clear. Yes. Okay. Okay. Fine. That's right. Correct. Okay, so what? So let's get into the plan. What were you brought in to do? What What did Bill say that got you to walk through the door and take the CEO job? He, it's interesting because he called me uh, just shortly after it was announced I, I was leaving Energy Fuels, and I already knew worked with the team in the past, so I already knew the assets that the Energy uh, Encore had, and uh, with the acquisition of the the the, uh, the Westwater. Uh, assets, it gave us licensed production facilities. And, uh, and basically, it was a challenge to go identify resources that could be produced and brought into uh, these properties, these product operations, but with a short timeline. We're looking at a, uh, you know, a 2022, 2023 delivery schedule to get them into production. And uh, that's kind of that's right in my wheelhouse as far as what my experience is, and it's uh, and I saw that as a challenge because if you look at the assets we've received, uh, there's not uh, the, there weren't a lot of resources sitting ahead of these plants, these facilities we got. But I've worked in South Texas most of my career, and I know where the resources are. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to go and leverage that experience and also my knowledge of the, game, the ground game and, and the people that, that are in that area. And I saw that as a challenge. And, and you know, one of the things I want to do is I want to be part of a new story in my career. I've done it a few times, but this time I want to, ex this, I want to execute again. And this gives me the opportunity. And the best part about what, what Bill Sell's job was is that it's my it's me that gets to do it. You know, I'm, not, I'm doing it for the company, but as a CEO. Right. Okay. But, but this is this is an old news story in a sense, in that Encore has been around for a while. It had some residual assets. 
Um, and yeah. they they did nothing for years. They, they they did the hunker down approach again. Nothing wrong with that. You know, time, timing the market is everything, yeah. right? But Bill's been able to raise some money before you got involved. There were you know talk of deals before you um, got involved, and the market got excited. And I suspect has benefited from a little bit of the you know energy metals um, premium, right? Yeah. But you've 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 got a job to do now because you've got to you've got to find these new assets, this M and A activity quickly, and you know where yes. things are. But how are you going to do it? Well, so it's a it's basically there's a two prong approach that I'm taking. One is is what I call local assets. Those are those are actual properties that have mineral resources that we can go on either acquire through purchasing or through leasing. Those are the short term, uh, the short terms that are nearby uh, uh, Rosita or the, the, the properties we have. Uh, with respect to the bigger, you know, but Texas won't be the absolute focus, the, the total be all end all of our production story. We're looking to go to expand outside uh, in, into other jurisdictions. And that's going to take to be able to, we're going to, we're looking at, uh, you know, potentials of working with uh, uh, other companies that have uh, existing assets that have that that lack that need the ability to go into production that need the expertise. Uh, we've actually been in conversations with uh, you know a few counterparties, uh, and uh, basically we're we're uh, effectively waiting. You know, for lack of a better term, waiting for them to respond back to us. Uh, it's a two-way street on that point, and then, uh, but I see those as leverages because they, to become, you know, as as Bill has said, and and I'm bought into is that we want to be dominant in the in the in such a recovery uh, industry in the U.S. And the only way we can do that is not just by growing it organically, but we're going to have to grow also by consolidation to do that to make that happen. Do you think you've left and, it? Uh, do you think you've left it too late? No, no. No, I don't. And um, I think it's, you know, is a perfect, you know, the, could there have been a better time to do it? Obviously, yes, but uh, I don't think Encore would have been in the position to do it at that time. I think we're in a much better position today. And the other the other thing we bring to the table when we talk to these other other uh, uh, parties is that we have experience. And I, I think that I deliver the real experience to be able to execute on a plan. And uh, that's the whole point is that it's, it's great to go and, you know, it's one thing to collect and hold projects and properties and work on the sidelines to advance them uh, slowly. But I, you know, what I bring to the table, and I think that's what Encore brings to the table when we have these conversations, is that we, we bring the experience not only to execute and get into, you know, execute a development operational plan, we know how to get there. So I know, you know, the permitting, the, the licensing, uh, those are all key aspects that don't always get talked about in the big sport, right? But they are the, you know, they're the long pole in the tent. They hold up everything. And so uh, uh, you got to know how to execute on that. And that's been kind of where my, over my career, I've done both. And I've been able to, to execute on both of those meet, and finding the other thing is that is finding the right people to help you execute, right? You can't do it all alone. And uh, I brought in a few key people to start with Encore, and uh, uh, but it's not the you know they're not going to be the only people we bring on board. I, I've got a, a, a group of people that I 
I've got in mind as uh, time moves on and the timing is right to help okay. us execute the plan. Okay. Let, let's talk with some of the, the old hands, though. What's building? I get, I get that he's chairman, but is he sitting in these meetings with you? Is he yeah. more focused on... Um, on other things, I mean, you know, obviously this, he's got Group Eleven as well, and obviously, you know, Golden Predator involvement. So, how's your relationship going to work going forward on a on a practical level, not just a relationship? So, we we work very well together, and Bill Bill, I, I look at Bill as being he's the institutional knowledge of the company. Also, he's got you know when you get into the the, the Equity, the finance side. That's where Bill brings his his uh, expertise and his contact. And uh, I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I've been working for public companies for most of my, you know, a lot of my career. But I've been focused on the operations and and basically the the, uh, the administration side and and the corporate side, but not necessarily on on what I would call the. Uh, uh, the forward-looking side, the, the financial, and uh, and also, uh, you know, promoting the company. Bill's got a lot of it. He's it, that's a real strength of his. And uh, I think we work well together because I bring the ability to be able to explain how we're going to execute the plan and execute the story. And but also, I can, I, I will execute and show. That's my whole point. Is I'm going to show results. Okay. And. Uh, so, so, so let's, let me, again, I just want to kind of deal with this so we can park it up and focus on how we grow the business, right? Um, which, which is this Group 11 component. And, uh, Encore owns 40% of this. Was part of the deal when you came in to allow Bill to kind of go off and spend time on that as a 40% owner of that, and you just focus on the uranium component, or have you got some decisions to make about what Encore does with its 40% holding in Group 11? I think that I think the way you described it at the beginning, the first part was that I think Bill. This gives Bill the opportunity to be able to leverage and and and, and expand Group Eleven and and, and deal with that. Uh, I give because Encore is a uranium company. I can I'm basically focused on Encore and the business. I support what Bill's doing on you know. In other words, both functionally, uh, uh, I support what he's doing. In other words, I provide some technical basis for it right but bill's taking the lead on that great and i because when he talked about it before he was super excited about that one he was oh, more yeah. excited about that than the uranium that's what my <laughs> takeaway was okay so there's which is why i'm asking the question and uh, you know i think i think it's right. i think it's a it's a it's, it's a good it's a good it's a good idea uh for sure but is therefore encore obliged financially Going forward to support Group Eleven as a forty percent shareholder, or will it be will it manage its own finances? I, I think that uh, the bottom line is ultimately we would be have some financial responsibility, but the the current strategy is that that uh, Group Eleven will do their own. They've got their their money. They, we we've already provided them some financing to be able to support that. I saw. And, but they're going to carry that on themselves. Right. Uh, and uh, that, that's the expectation is that they'll right. carry it on. Them because well. I think that was like 750,000 bucks from memory from the last conversation. Yeah. Um, but they're not going to commit you to 40% of a big number at any point down the line that you're aware of. Nothing that's been that I'm aware of, right? Right. Okay. Um, so we better talk about growth. We talk about how this company grows, right? So you've got two of the 11 licensed plants in the US. Are they both in care and maintenance at the moment? 
Yes, right. both of them are. Right. What do you need to do? What do you need to have in place to be able to raise the capital to kind of get those out of care and maintenance? Um, because this is going to cost a bit of money and you're going to need to feed it. So what was the plan? So the plan, well, it's we've got uh, two stages to the plan. Obviously, the, the first one is, uh, and this is what we've been, been talking about mostly, is that uh, is getting Rosita. And Rosita is what, what I see as a low-hanging fruit. It's the one that it's the facility that has it's the most advanced on on uh, equipment and uh, condition, uh, but it's also closer to the area of interest that I'm looking at to uh, to to establish property. So we've got some we got some basic properties that we got with the Westwater acquisition. We call it Butler Ranch. Uh, we're initially going to start uh, doing some work there, but also we acquired a through uh, some uh, connections I've had is that we were able to acquire some data on some properties that are close to Rosita that have known resources, have been previously permitted, but never operated. And, uh, and the reason why they were never operated is by the time they got the license permit, the market disappeared. This was, you know, properties that were developed in the mid early 2000s. By the time they got licensed and permitted, there was uranium, spot uranium was $18 a pound. And so they basically, uh, these properties weren't advanced. So we're looking at leveraging those. And uh, those would be the, what I see as the first initial production coming into uh, Rosita. Uh, there will be costs associated with uh, obviously the, the land acquisition. It's fairly, it, the, this, you know, it's not big numbers. Uh, and um, and then, then it'd be basically getting licensed and executing on the, the well-field development. And I, I, I believe that the time, because we have existing licenses at Rosita, we can actually, it becomes, these new production facilities are amended into the license, not necessarily new licensed altogether. So it gives us a timing advantage uh, because we don't have to go and do, multi, we only have to get a couple of permits and expand the license to cover these, license, these uh, well fields and produce them. And I have the advantage of, when we talk about well field infrastructure and everything else, uranium resources, West Water had already constructed remote ion exchange plants and they're portable. So all I have to do is refurb those. And then once well fields are installed, I've got remote ion exchange plants and we just basically transport resin into res Rosita. So I see a lot of opportunities to, to uh, streamline and then uh, reduce our costs to get into production. It's still going to cost four to five million dollars to put in a well field, uh, and that's a well field that you know has a, approximately, you know, you need these days you can't put uh, well fields on two hundred thousand pounds expecting to be economic. They have to be larger scale, uh, just simply to amortize the capital cost over the uh, the whole project. Okay, are you at all nervous by the recent events at Peninsula Energy in terms of their ability? With their ISR projects to re recover at the rates that they want, so you know it's I, I, generally is it is it reasonable grades uh, with, with where you are? I mean, is that the problem, or is it just you know simply a case of just getting your wellhead configuration correct? Um, but what are the problems you see coming coming back into these assets? Because it's not it it never works like clockwork. You you you've got to fiddle yeah. around a bit, right? So, right. what are the things that you're thinking? Well, correct. I just need to need to be careful about 
this? So, see, you know, when I look at executing on this plan, my, you know, what keeps me awake, this, the easy part's going to be the plan, the Rosita plan. That's going to be easy. We know that it's on the surface and everything else. Where, where what keeps me awake at night is, is that uh, when you look at these, these projects, you, you know, how confident am I in, in someone else's work on grade and, and resource number? How confident am I on that? Uh, and so uh, I have, to, I am already starting to put some, I, I've already brought in geologists to help me begin to review. And I'm talking, not talking about just reading 4301 report, but going through the hard data. How much information, what, what's there? Because I want to make sure that when we commit to sink wells into a well field, that we're going to get, we're going to be able to recover uranium and also be able to uh, uh, produce it economically. And that's the challenge. So uh, it's, you know, and, and it's a challenge, but I got confidence. I know that the ore bodies that we're looking at, I know the sandstones we're in, they have a well-known productive history. In fact, these are located in areas where there's significant uranium and civil recovery, uranium production historically. And so uh, I, I feel confident in that. I just, right now, what we're doing right now is, is redoing all the mapping on the ore body, putting them into what my team feels is comfortable for planning well fields and executing, because the last thing I want to do is go spend that $5 million put in a well field and produce a couple hundred thousand pounds. And, and that would be a financial failure at that point. And we've already committed everything at that uh, prior to that. So do your homework first. Basically, do you do your own due diligence and do it early? And that's what I'm doing right now. I don't want to go spend all that money and make sure I'm not, I don't want to go put it into uh, uh, a dry hole. I need to, it needs to be something that's going to be productive. And, and uh, you know, I don't see any issues with leaching on our, the properties we're looking at. They have historic leaching activity, so I feel confident that we're going to be able to execute. Okay, but I'm doing my, my homework first. Well, yeah, I mean, and and, and that's going to that's going to take a, a bit of time. It's it's not an expensive process, but it, it does take time, just by dint of the the the, the, pro, the, the process you're employing. I, I, ISR NCHU is um, needs time for, for to get the results. I mean, it kind of makes the energy metals model look great now, doesn't it? Because you don't have to worry about things like getting into production. Um, <laughs> but Bill's actually cleverer than we th when, than we thought. That's that's what's just happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the word, that's right. So the, the word nightmare someone has actually having to deliver results, right? right? Yeah. Um, well, let's 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 talk let's talk about some of the other um, things that have come come up um, recently, which is Mr. Biden has got a new administration in place and yeah. uh, he's appointed. Um, Deb Halland, um, uh, what's that going to do for you? Because obviously, historically, there have been some been some issues, and I think there've been some statements made. And I know Bill's, you know, talked long, long and hard at me about you've got to um, respect, and you've got to talk to, and you've got to establish relationships with First Nations uh, groups um, and, um, and and tribe members. So. Again, are you nervous about that aspect of what you've walked into? No, I'm not. The uh, it's it's something I've been involved. You know, anytime you you know, I've worked in New Mexico. I worked up in uh, you know when I was working for Cameco, I had uh, operations that were challenged by tri uh, tribes uh, and Native American 
issues. So it's not something that's that's new to me. The the uh, the Biden administration that uh, and 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 uh, Secretary Holland is uh, she know she she's from New Mexico, so obviously she comes from an area that's close to the history of uranium mining, uh, and uh, and so that's always going to have to be something that's going to be understood going forward. One of the things that we have an advantage of, you know, at least in the properties we have, at least in New Mexico, most of them are, are not on what would be considered Indian lands. And uh, and so that there would be no involved, you know, no involvement uh, or minimal involvement with the Department of Interior where, where she's at, uh, either on private land or fee lands or on federal claims. The, the But that doesn't se separate us from the history in New Mexico uh, and and that's where a lot of our re most of our resources are, and that's where our future is. And I think Bill's talked about that quite a bit about New Mexico being the future. And having have worked in that area in the past, and also in my prior employment when I worked for, with Energy Fuels, one of the things that we that uh, was always well known is that if you want to advance mining, particularly in New Mexico, even Arizona, one of the things you have to deal with is the legacy. Of former uranium mining activities, and it's primarily stuff that was done by you know under the authority of the federal government, uh, and uh, and uh, there's this legacy, and and I've met with the, the Navajo Nation, and what comes up quite often is that before they want to talk about having uranium mining in their local communities, these are typically communities that are not on a reservation the legacy has to be dealt with. That's what's got to be done first. And, uh, and we got to understand that, that, that uh, they want to have their issues taken care of, you know, those issues taken care of before they even want to think about new growth. And uh, one of the things that, that, you know, we work with, what I've worked with in, you know, my prior gig with uh, Energy Fuels is we work to promote the cleanup on the, of these abandoned uranium mines and not on land. And that was a big program. And there's money set aside for that. The problem that's the challenge then is that the federal government just doesn't seem to be acting. They got the money, they got the funding. And if they could get this, they could get this going, uh, it will take a heavy load off of the, the, the tribal government. Uh, it'll take, it'll, it'll improve. It'll be, we'd be able to have a conversation about, uh, you know, opportunity, economic opportunities that, that could come from uranium mining in that area. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and if, and that helps change the conversation directly. When, and uh, also, uh, we see that, you know, that, that uh, when you're dealing with the, with the federal government, and I'm speaking of, I'm saying like the Navajo Nation, they do want to look at ways to improve the economic opportunities on the reservation. And uh, and that they've been impacted by the reduction, the, the shutdown of the coal mines. They've lost a lot of jobs. They had really good, high-paying jobs, and so and and they have come up with business opportunities to where they they actually have private-public partnerships to uh, advance economic development on the reservation, or at least for the the Navajo uh, people. Right. Um, can I can I can I quote? See that as an opening for us. Can I can I quote something? Yeah, you said um, 
And this, this, has come, this was a quote from um, Joe Shirley Jr. He said, as, as long as there are no answers to cancer, we shouldn't have uranium mining on Navajo Nation land. That's the, that's the, that's the, the level of passion and, and conflict that it potentially is. I mean, how do you get around that? that that's right. And I, you know, the, the thing is that Joe Shirley only represents himself on probably a segment of it. But if there was a, if it was a widespread, you know, if it was, it was, if it was broadly spread as a, you know, a, a position across the entire tribe or the, 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 the tribal air, the reservation, you wouldn't be able to have people, you know, when you talk about uh, working in the uranium industry, half the workforce at the White Mason Mill that Energy Fields has is Navajo. And, uh, and, and there's no issue with hiring people from the reservation to work there. So I think that there's a communication issue. I think that uh, there's going to be some education that has to be done. Uh, and, and we haven't done a good job of it because of the uranium industry. We kind of work in spurts and growth and, and then retraction and you get something going and then you got to stop because, well, you don't have any money. And uh, so it becomes much more difficult to sustain that relationship. Okay, but, but let's, go, let's go back to um, the job at hand for you, which is once you've kind of worked out how you can mine and what the economics are, you've got to then work out how you kind of get into the market. I get, so again, you know, we, we've seen, a, actually, here's an interesting one. We've seen a bit of activity in the past couple of weeks. We've got Denison raising money to buy pounds, UEC, same thing, and even Boss down in Australia jump, jumping aboard the bandwagon. Is this just gimmicks and games, or is this some serious intent, or is it just suit the different business models that each of them are going to need to employ? Because there are different stages of, you know, potential production. You've got Denison potentially have a long wait. You've got UEC, who knows, and Boss, or maybe this allows them to have earlier conversations than they would do otherwise. So. How, do you see more companies jumping on that bandwagon? Do you think those three have done something, a, a um, some good for the industry? Well, first of all, I want to say that I, I think what their strategy is, is going to be good for the industry yeah, and to start that. I don't think they're going to be the last ones to announce that they're doing something like this. I, I, I've been in the uranium industry for 30, 34 years now, and everybody comes up with a different way to uh, to build a, you know, not a better mousetrap, mouse a better, build a better strategy. And what I see this right now is that, uh, it's become the consensus that, uh, we, the uranium price at that $20, $29, $28 pot per pound spot price provided a, a basically a floor. And, uh, and I didn't seem to be, there was a lot of resistance for the price going down. So I see this is basically buying uranium today. Like the head, like a hedge fund would, but they can use it for multiple reasons. There's a couple of things ways they can use it. It can be one used as an investment that uh, they can use. Uh, let's say, for example, uh, they can buy this uranium today with today's dollars, and as the price, with the expectation that the price is going to move up. And when it comes time to get financing to fund capital projects. Now they've got that money at a higher value. They can sell without actually have being forced to, to uh, issue equity for it or going to debt. Uh, so it provides a good uh, uh, investment mechanism for that and a hedge as well. The other thing I see 
is it becomes a way to de-risk future production, near-term production or initial production. One of the things that you that a company needs, and this is what I've been having conversations already with utilities, and there's been a few RFPs that have come out, is to start beginning to support the economics of our projects by getting firm contracts. And those term contracts have delivery schedules on them. And, and the worst, the last thing I want to be do is be what's, you know, being uh, an underperformer. I want to over, uh, under promise and overperform. And, uh, and, and, but there's always risk. You mentioned uh, a, a minute ago about the timing it takes to get an ISR production facility into production. Or what if we have reaching problems or something like that? The, this inventory, an inventory structure like this provides the ability to be able to de-risk that delivery. So, you know, I could, I could go on back to the utility customer and say, well, I'm running a timing issue, but I can deliver in this contract. I have this inventory and, and meet my commitment to you so that I get a little bit more time. I buy that. And I think that works for boss. I don't think that works for Danison. And I'm not sure about UEC. Who knows? Right. So, yeah, well, you know, I'm not inside, I, you know, I, I'm not inside the decision making circle. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at only from my perspective. So, are you going to do it? Are you doing it? Uh, smile, just smile, wink. Give me, give me a sign. Well, <laughs> it is definitely an opportunity that we, we're, we're looking at. Okay. There you go. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> And if you no, I better not go. I better not push you anymore on that. Um, but you you think that more people will will do this because I mean I wonder what that does for a UPC or a, or a yellow cake um, in all of this. Well, the I think other people are going to do it simply because it's first of all there's the bandwagon approach, right? Everybody loves the story and makes a good story, so everybody wants to jump onto it. Look, look at me. I'm doing it too. It's a great idea. And uh, uh, and so I and, that, and honestly, I think that's a good thing because it provides more points of demand in the market that's been lacking any demand for a substantial period of time. Uh, now, is it wise for everybody to do that? I would question that. And, and uh, the uh, but when you talk about the the UPCs and the and the yellow cakes, you know, because they 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 still got money they need to spend. And I don't I'm you know UPC side. They're going to want to get they'll, they'll want to get in as well, but even the yellow cake side, it's just going to make it more expensive for them to buy uranium into the fund, you know, to, to the fiscal uranium. But if you look at it from their strategy, how can that be a bad thing? If it's costing a little more, that means that the price is going to go up down the road, and that's that's how their whole story is built. They wouldn't be, and so I think it's for them it's a positive story. Obviously, they don't want to be getting in, and, and you know, when the prices move, you know, the prices they check today, we're at, we're at close to thirty dollars and fifty cents on the ask, uh, and uh, ask side, that's not a big move from twenty nine, but what if they wait and the price is thirty five or forty or something like that? Then it suddenly gets more expensive, and they they might think about it a little harder. I thought it was interesting. I, I spoke to Stephen Roman the other day and he was saying, well, I asked him, would you do it? And he goes, no point. I can produce it cheaper than I can buy it for. Why would I? So why would I? Right. That makes, yeah. that's an argument. And if I look at Denison's production price, it's it's equally, well, it's lower. Um, so it doesn't make sense yeah. from in terms of that argument, but they've got a longer term to production. So I guess, so therefore that kind of cancels out that reasoning. So it, 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 there's a lot, different people have different reasons why they they would they would do it. And some of it is just quite frankly to access 
uh, a little bit of cash, I, I, I suspect, depending on the on the terms of the um, of the uh, prospectus. Um, okay, well, so that, that's going on in the marketplace, all, all fun and games. Do you think it's enough to actually catch the attention of the utility bars, these nuclear fuel bars, uh, or because they're sitting on their two two and a half three years worth of inventory, they could care less? No, I, I think it's catching their attention. I, I think it's a surprise move, and uh, uh, I don't, you know. As, as you know, Kazanoprom and, and uh, Cameco have been in the market buying to and are basically putting that production, those purchases into their contract. Everybody's known about that. But to see these moves from uh, uh, these companies as the time and the timing of it, it creates uh, all of a sudden, it's a, a, pardon my French, what the hell moment? You know, what's going on? What do they know that I don't know? Uh, now, the utilities, they work on a, you know, They've been sitting out of the market for a lot of reasons. Uh, they've been, you know, some have come in and bought a few, pound, you know, a couple hundred thousand pounds here, a couple hundred thousand pounds there as in the spot market to, to meet the, to fulfill their, uh, their inventory needs or schedule needs. But they actually haven't really been signing any term agreements, which is, you know, until uh, a few years ago, that was the basis. 70% of transactions in the uranium space were done through term contracts, not through spot. And uh, that's transitioned more to these carry trades and, and being the, the, new, the, the new thing. But as you are aware, these carry trades are vulnerable to these sudden increases in prices. Uh, unless they already have the physical material in, in their inventory, that, or, their, or the, the, the financial entities have the physical uh, the material now, they're gonna have to go and acquire in a more expensive environment. So create the carry trade become less of a uh, of a uh, something that the, the utilities see, and they're going to be looking more at trying to get more fixed price and base price escalated pricing. But the reality, the other thing that's become very aware of, and I think Traytech has done a very good job of publishing this uh, production price incentive, production cost incentive uh, or index, which provides what the what they're estimating as the overall worldwide cost of production production to, that needs to be met to incentivize new production. Because today's prices are thirty dollars a pound or thirty fifty or whatever, nobody's bringing on new production. You don't have, even though some of these companies said they got these great new low cost production facilities, uh, even in Kazakhstan with their low cost op operating costs, you don't see a lot of new production coming. There's no new production coming online. Even some of the cheapest stuff isn't coming online because the reality is, is that $30 a pound is not enough to incentivize anybody to get and to expand production. It costs money and there's risk involved. And uh, the return, it doesn't, doesn't account for enough. There's not enough return to, uh, uh, to cover the risk. So I see that the price is gonna move up. The utilities recognize that I've been, I've talked to, since January, I've talked to uh, 14 of you, the domestic uranium utilities in the U.S. I agree with you, sorry. To so say what? What are, you, what are you talking about, Paul? They're talking about having op significant openings for inventory for demand in 2023, which fits the narrative. That there's going there's a lot of openings occurring in 2023, and there's, there's I, I think there's a couple of things that are driving that. One is if you go look at the amendment to the Russian suspension agreement. Uh, where this LEU, uh, low enriched uranium that the, uh, that the current utilities are currently contracted with, uh, uh, Kenex for, 
those those type of contracts effectively go away in twenty at the end of twenty twenty three. Yeah, that's what's been providing a lot of the material that the utilities have contracted for today. Yeah, and by that that changes that, and so also they haven't been built, they haven't been signing long term contracts with primary suppliers. Yeah. I mean, Cameco stated that it's not. They've done a few of them that are off market, but not. It's not. Can't even companies like Cameco say publicly that they're not building their contract book. Their contract book's actually contracting. Yeah. And uh, and so that that's why they have these significant openings. There's a couple of things that are working in that. And that uh, uh, and that 2023 window seems to fit. It fits what I see going on in the market. And what the if you look at the Energy Information Agency's uh, market report, it fits the the inventory trends where a lot of the the, the uh, merchant plants, these are the deregulated markets, or become uh, uranium. I mean, nuclear plants that are in uh, deregulated power markets are transitioning to more of a just-in-time inventory from a a, a term contract or a longer lead time. And so these dynamics are, are all showing that that. It's matching up to that 2023 timeline, and this is what we built our strategy around uh, as being the key point where we're going to see, a, you know, a lot of utility purchasing. That means they have to start contracting in 2022 and 2021, and we've already started seeing some of that now. Yeah, we, we, we've talked about a lot of those topics on our weekly uranium show on the um, Cross Investor Private Investment Platform, where. You know, we're trying to understand the, 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 the drivers and, you know, it's been fascinating over the last year discussing a lot of those topics. The bit that we can't get is because it is, is understanding the timing of when these term contracts will be saved. So you're talking, you're talking about 2023 gaps, right? But what does that do in terms of affecting conversations this year in terms of um, uh, getting term contracts signed? Because there's a few RFPs out, I guess. Probably from the yeah. Denisons, UECs, and probably, probably, probably even Boss. Well, maybe or eventually, or quite soon from Boss. Um, but there aren't that many other RFPs around at the moment. I mean, apart from small amounts, just sweeping up this this loose this mobile yeah. inventory. Um, so when can we expect to see sizable, meaningful movement in this marketplace? In a way that I guess retail retail always look to spot right. They they, they don't. Term, the term contract language they look to spot yeah. and spot price just sucks at the moment I it does come on but but term, the, the what's going on with what Denison and, and all you know those current RFPs those are going to be affecting the spot market so they're going to be taking spot market off the market when I talk about this term the utility demand and being in 2023 that's when they actually have inventory openings what is opening? Tell us what that means, because we might be just it might be terminology. Go. So, when to get a to take a drum of yellow cake and and put it into a fuel pellet that goes into a nuclear into a fuel rod into a nuclear reactor or assembly, it takes one to two years, depending on how the utility has things set up. So, for example, they have inventories. So, the to, to build that fuel rod. They have to have enriched uranium that's been enriched. It has to be at the fabricator, so they have to build up enough uranium uh, uh, enriched fuel at the fabricator before they can start uh, assembling those. But they have to have enough material at a converter uh, to, of uranium hexafluoride to put that into enriched uranium. So they have to do things in blocks. 
And, and when you think about blocks of, of or significant quantities, and I, I don't know how each, each utility does it differently. So let's say 100,000 pounds at a time. They need to go, go acquire 100,000 pounds of uranium and put that into their inventory at a converter. Then they have to pay the converter to convert that to uranium exploit. And then, go, then is, after they've got that all done, because everything takes a little time, then they move it to the enricher. So they have inventory at these different levels and they're at various places within their schedule. What's happened is, is that everything's on the back end now. So they got enriched uranium, they've got fuel at the fabricators, but they don't have much in the way their, their inventory that they need delivery at the converter and to be converted is low. So by 2023, they're going to be depleted if they don't find replacement for it. And so they're going to be coming in the market because they need natural uranium. When? They'll, they'll need it sometime. They'll probably take deliveries in the 2022 2023, early 2023, to get into their cycle as they move through. So if they, to take delivery in 2022, 2023, when do they need to sign contracts? Because 2021. 2021. There we go. Yeah. Right, there we go. That's the information people want to hear because it takes you guys a little while to get into production, right? Yeah, I, have to get, I have to deliver, right? It takes time to get there. And as I explained to the utilities is that if you give me a contract now that helps me get the finance, get in the financial position where I can deliver into that contract. Right. And that's my story to them is that, uh, you know, you know, and, and if you get in earlier, I give it better pricing than I will give it to you later. Type right. of thing, you know? Okay. So again, I, I always forget because we did this week, weekly show. It's, we've been through a lot of these topics and if it went for the stuff that's kind of going out to the general public, it just, that there's a really good point you make is, if you get those term contracts signed now, it allows you to raise cheaper financing because right. you've got long-term contracts that, you know, there's multiple ways that contracts can work, but, you know, let, let's, say, let's say it's fixed. Um, is isn't necessarily always fixed. It allows you to get cheaper financing to put your CapEx, your OPEX, get things going and start the process of getting working towards getting into production within a X period of months or years, exactly. right? Okay, so that's important for people to understand. For the back end for revenue, and that allows me to be able to execute and get the make sure I've got the financing to support that capital expenditure right. to get there. Because it, everything else, if you're just betting on the spot market, it's pretty risky. You know, yeah. you live by the spot, you die by the spot. Yeah, okay. and uh, and <clears throat> and so that's 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 a story exactly. As, as, as Paladin of old will uh, attest. So we, we that now again, for generalists coming in, looking at this thing, that's the reason why, you know, the, the spot market is not as important as the term contract market for the companies involved. Okay, there we go. I think it's sorry to go back to school a little bit, but you you remember there's, there's, there's all sorts of new investors coming into this thing, right? There's lots of generalists yeah. been investing in tech for the last, you know, three, four years. So they're, they're, they're driving up to this thing in their Lamborghinis ready to invest. So we've got to explain it to them. That's really, really important. Well, like, like, thanks for taking that sort of slight, slight segue into the world of uh, generality of, of uranium. Better get back to you guys. So, Paul, timing of what can we expect to see this year? Are you going gonna to need to raise some more capital? No, I, we don't think so right now unless something dramatically changes. You know, we just had a very successful private placement yep. that over, you know, we were looking, we we're expecting to raise 8 million, we got 15 million, and we could have probably done more. Yeah. Uh, and- uh, So you're good for the year. That gives us a good a good year out of that. And uh, 
So that allows us, we've already started, like I mentioned earlier, we've already started working on Rosita, beginning to identify, you know, get the long lead time items identified. We've started, I mentioned to you about acquiring properties. We've already started doing that. It's already happening. And uh, so the types of properties you're going to buy, you're going to be able to do the way that you're going to structure it within that 15 million. Yes. Okay. So they're not going to be spectacular projects. They're going to be good solid projects that you're aware of historically and you think will be a good addition to the portfolio. So just not spend too much money. I don't want to. Exactly. And the reason why I don't, I'm trying to do I'm not, I'm not trying to do it on a shoestring, but I'm trying to do it career-wise. I, you know, um, I saw what happened with some of the companies in the last boom. I, I, during the last boom, I worked for a private company and, uh, and, and uh, on private land and were immensely successful. But also I did things on a shoestring. So where I built a plant for $8 million, uh, my competitors built, spent $30 million on theirs. And, and so I, I, I look at things, I want to be prudent, I want to be able to execute because as I tell, philosophy I've told the people that, that work for me, it's a whole lot less expensive to add than to take away. And, and by, by doing things and building things up and only adding as you need to, instead of going out and getting the roles right, you know, the, 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 the best of the best to do it, uh, I want to do things as on the, uh, I, I believe I can do things on, I'm not saying I'm cheap, I'm just going to do it on a, I want to be prudent. And how we spend the money. Okay. And, hey, uh, so, so, so now that um, Energy Fuels are a rare earth company, you're going to be buying um, uranium assets off of them? I have no idea. <laughs> I had to ask. <laughs> I think they're just offloading them. Offloading them. They're, they're, they're the new rare earth critical hub center of the US. Didn't you know? I, I, you know, that's uh, honestly, I was involved in energy fuels and, and I was, you know, I was able to be part of the beginning of that rare earth initiative. I think it's a good opportunity for them. I think it's a very good opportunity. I think it's amazing. And, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, right now where they're at, it's not going to, you know, the economics probably don't look as rosy as it could be, but I think that they've got the right strategy to get there. And, and uh, I think that the, the the strategy they're taking right now uh, is a, uh, is with the assets they have and that are involved with it, I think it's the right way to go. Now, it's, is it going to happen tomorrow? It's going to take a little time. It takes the rare earth side is far more complex than everybody thinks it is. Absolutely. I, what I like about what they've put together is the team, the, the various uh, people, you know, Kyrianopoulos yeah. uh, guy, um, right. you know, just clever as get out of here. So they've got a real opportunity to do something spectacular with the White Mesa asset, finally. Absolutely. Right? Um, okay. Well, look, it, look, Paul, I mean, I loved it. I, I'm just conscious of the time um, that you, you've given us today, so I really appreciate it. Um, we should do this more often. I've really enjoyed it. And you've got a wealth of knowledge. So you've been, you've, you've been around the block a few times and you've seen a few things work and a few things not. And, you know, I think that's invaluable in this industry where not a lot of people have got projects into production, you know, and the teams that have got people who have got projects into production, I'm listening for sure. Well, I'd love to do it again. I've enjoyed the conversation. It's been, uh, you know, like, like, you know, it's it's something that uh, we've had to transition to with uh, the, you know, the current pandemic and everything is do everything by video conference. And, uh, 
and it's 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 been a, a growing and learning experience to get there but it's been uh i've enjoyed this conversation very much and i definitely want to do it again thank you for listening if you've enjoyed the interview why not subscribe to cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.